Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bridge, a Star Trek multiverse podcast. As always, I'm your host, Adam, and with me is my co-host, Andrew. Andrew, how's it going? Things are good. Excited to talk about Star Trek, as always. Indeed. We haven't uh, recorded in a while because it's been kind of a quiet summer in regards to uh, Star Trek happenings. Um, so, mm-hmm. they're, you know, you're kind of really... It's been a bit of a lull, but things are kicking back up again, so now is the perfect time to uh, get get back into the swing of things. And so that's what we're going to do. We have a a couple of uh, news items to discuss, and then we will be continuing our um, look back at the uh, different pilots for all the the Star Trek uh, series. And so... That's what we're here to do tonight, so let's get going. Um, Andrew, uh, first things first, we got our first look at uh, Star Trek uh, Prodigy. That's right. So uh, we, yeah, we kind of had bits and pieces about the characters release, and a few photos, I think, were on StarTrek.com just to show kind of what the visual style would be. But we have our first trailer that showed, you know, the characters voices a bit of the characters personality uh we didn't uh cap the holographic ver- spoiler alert the holographic version of captain janeway uh was not visually in the trailer but we heard her voice there at the end um but we are also got our first glimpse at what the 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 starfleet ship that these uh renegade uh kids pretty much are going to be using i think it was the and you could see on the side of it it was like uss protostar mm-hmm. nx76884 now you know not that the number matters but i think the rumors on the internet would be that maybe this was some kind of shuttle maybe like a delta flyer thing or the uh the captain's yacht the aero shuttle from voyager right. um but this it looked like a full-fledged starship it uh, does yeah so uh, we'll see how they explain, you know, what the premise of the show is, of what this ship is, why it is uh, wherever that is, whether it's in the Alpha Quadrant or beyond, or or what the what more of the plot of Star Trek Prodigy will be. But we have our first glimpse at, you know, really what the visual uh, format, the visual design of it will be. So. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm excited about all new Star Trek, so I will absolutely be watching it the first day it is available on whatever streaming service I'm supposed to be watching it on. <laughs> the really interesting thing for me is that, well, two things, how young the the cast of characters is, mm-hmm. and the fact that they are all seemingly aliens, whereas, you know, mm-hmm. Species, whereas usually you have a human in the mix. Uh, you That's know. a good point. Yeah, well, if you count is... if you count Captain Janeway as a hologram, so sure, Captain Janeway yeah. will be the technically, yeah, you're, the you're voice right, but... of humanity. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that counts. But it was just weird seeing. Oh, this is the first time where the core group of of living or or, or in person you know, entities are all, all mm-hmm. aliens. Um, it seems very. Um, like they emphasized, you know, with the with the words flashing across the screen and the, the screen that it's going to be like all new. We're going to see all new places. Uh, really, a, 
and this is typical of Star Trek, but I, when I say it, it's going to sound funny when I say this, but it, it just it hits differently with this teaser. Mm-hmm. You know, a space faring adventure in like almost the truest sense. If that makes sense. Yeah, I get I get the sense that these uh that are they kids? I'm not sure that they're all kids. I think most of them are they're young. Yeah. Yeah, younger. I didn't mean younger. That. Yeah. But I get the sense that they're going to go, you know, pardon the pun, but boldly going where no one has gone before. So we're not sure. going to necessarily be exploring the traditional Alpha Quadrant, but they're going to be off in like a different direction, a different galaxy. I don't even know what's going to happen. So it'll be interesting. And I did, I did like the uh, Janeway voiceover uh, as the as the uh, the uh, video, uh, you know, uh, did a wide shot revealing mm-hmm. the ship, which looks like a full scale. Uh, ship as you mentioned off the air it's not you know uh, an away shuttle or something like that yeah. it's a full full on starship yeah so i'll be i'll be interested to see how they uh again how they explain so what is this ship and why is captain janeway there um i also think it's cool that we're getting our first tellerite main character and that they've picked some interesting just interesting approaches to the aliens on the show. I think that it was uh, not to go too deep into Prodigy, but um, I think when you're doing like a CGI animated type story, right. it's easy to go like really alien, like bizarrely alien, completely, uh, completely weird. But right. you know, just because Star Trek, the way the Star Trek, the like the design of the Star Trek universe has been so live action and uh, on the cheap. <laughs> that um you know you've got kind of the more basic aliens relative to other science fiction so i'm i think they did an, a good balance of you know these are strange and interesting and alien shapes and designs but they're not outside the realm of believability of traditional star trek right and i did like the uh, cgi animation it mm-hmm. looked really good yeah just another uh, another series that we're uh, we have the joy to look forward to. So yes, and we'll be we'll be covering it because I'll be watching, you'll be watching. Yes, and uh, we'll and see I what happens. I don't think we have a release date yet, or is it just twenty twenty one? Just says fall of twenty twenty one. Okay, so in so, the not too distant future. Woo. So my guess, just just trying to do some math here, and God help me, I'm not that good at it. But uh, the with um, Lower Decks, which we're going to discuss in a second, um, premiering August 12th, correct? Uh, it's 11th or 12th. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, one of the So two. It's, it's something like 10 days, give or take. Or, well, yeah. I yeah, not to get into details, but. And it's, and it's 10 episodes, I think, correct? Uh, I don't know that off the top of my head. Because if that's the case, then it would take us to. Uh, into October, which is, you know, fall, which is probably when... Um, Season when... 2 is ten, 10 episodes. Yeah, that would take us into uh, circa October 15th. And right. if that's the plan, that sounds like it's... Maybe we'll go straight from Lower Decks into... Yeah, we, we, we could be getting right into, Like a situation we had last year. Remember where we mm-hmm. had all those weeks of track content? Yeah, I think I think that's the grand Alex Kurtzman plan, hopefully at some point, to just be uh, churning out Star Trek content year-round. And that will be a great 
day for humanity. <laughs> it will be, it definitely, it truly will be. And I think the cool thing about that is too, apparently uh, Discovery Season 4 is uh, also slated for uh, fall. So mm -hmm. conceivably, when Prodigy ends, or in some cases, slightly concurrently, uh, we could also get the start of uh, Discovery Season 4. Because mm -hmm. I'm guessing, again, the, the difference being that I actually don't know 100% the airing structure, but uh, Prodigy is on Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, at least first airing. Or Yeah, I think it's first airing on Nickelodeon and then the next day on Paramount+. Plus. Right, so Paramount+, Plus would still have... So again, what you could see is, you know, October, November, and the first couple of weeks of December, you have Prodigy, and then mid-December we have a couple episodes of of uh, Discovery. Then obviously the holiday break for you know the, the Christmas and New Year stuff, and then back for the rest of it. Uh, yeah. If I were uh, having, I have it up on my screen, so I'm not remembering this from memory at all. But Star Trek. Picard season two uh, is set to air in 2022, right. and the, if there if the air dates of the seasons are by any means connected, the first episode of Star Trek Picard aired on January 23rd, right. 2020. So that so would be exactly two years. Wow, two years from the uh, first episode of Picard. Yeah, yeah. They, well, they definitely. I don't think they planned the two-year gap in between. Mm -hmm. You know. Life through the entire world is right. one curveball, so uh, we had to but, we had to roll with the punches. But yeah. but you know conceivably, and then I think Strange New Worlds is slated to start in twenty twenty two as well. So so the, yeah, that would that would take us into pretty much next uh, April or May. Yeah. So theoretically, you know, we're going to be uh, swimming in, in Star Trek uh, content. Ah. Crazy. And I'm here for it. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Um, so the next, you know, bit of news is a reminder, which I already did, that uh, Star uh, Star Trek uh, Lower Decks begins either the 11th or 12th, um, and uh, uh, eight twelve. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So. Yeah, so the we have the trailer for Lower Decks coming out, or it is out, um, and we have been uh, promised a whole variety of, you know, callbacks and adventures and yeah. all of our main cast returns. And uh, one way or another, I see Brad Boimler off on the Titan is going to, uh, either through adventure or some other, you know, uh, trouble, is going to reunite with his shipmates and how that yeah. will go, so... Uh, a lot to look forward to. I think... And, um, oh, go ahead. And the trailer did confirm the Ferengi, and it confirmed that we were going to get um, you know, some more of... Uh, uh, why am I blanking? Uh, oh, a lot of uh, TNG favorite uh, yeah, bad guys, of, from Cardassians to yeah. the Packleds, um, and our new security chief, because Shax, spo again, spoiler alert for whoever's watching, or listening, um, you know, the security chief, 
you know, gave his life at the end of Lower Decks season one. So our new Lower Decks uh, security chief is going to be a Temerian. Uh, is is the implication from the trailer, if I remember correctly, yes, which is yeah. the uh, the species that speaks in metaphors from. And we're obviously going to see Riker again. Yes, that was confirmed in the trailer, and surprisingly, Tom Paris. Oh yes, yes, yes. So a lot more callbacks to prior Star Trek. I think yeah. I saw in a tweet or interview somewhere that um, this season is going to reference all of the other past series. And while the first season was much more next generation focused, this is going to have sure. a lot more references to all of the Star Trek legacy combined. So yeah. and I, again, I love Lower Deck season one, so I'm, I'm totally here for... Uh, Yes, very excited. For uh, season two, uh, which is not that far away. Um, by the time this episode is posted, it'll probably be around the day of the of the airing or a couple of days before. So, yeah. So, sh- listeners, be patient, and we'll we'll get to cover that as uh, soon as we can. Indeed. Um, so, the last bit of news I want to touch on. I mean, I, sh- I should say, well, we didn't talk about it in the pre-show before we, we, we started recording, but uh, we do have a director, supposedly, <laughs> and I say that with, uh, we, I, I hope this is, the, this is the one that takes, but we do have a director uh, for the next Star Trek movie, correct? Uh, yeah, so I, there's a lot of rumors out there. So you're talking about the Matt uh, Shockman Yes, who Another was the showrunner of, uh, or the executive producer of, uh, uh, was it One Division? Yeah. Yeah. So the, I'm I I am not exactly sure how the movie industry works, but they they've announced bits and pieces of a few different Star Trek movies at this point, and because they had also announced that there's um. Uh, a a woman is writing one of the one of the Star Trek movies that are in development. I know I know a woman was supposed to direct at one point, but then dropped out. I think that that's the one that now uh, this new director is taking over. Yeah, and then on top of that, there's the kind of this Quentin Tarantino rumor that well, is not. I, I think that's gone the way of the uh, of the Dodo Bird. I, I basically when Quentin Tarantino says something. <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, okay, unless I'm watching it, I don't believe it. <laughs> gotcha. He, he basically wants to do, like, like, just today he said he'd like to do, I can't remember what it was, but I'm like, stop talking. I'm like, you have, you have more projects than Guillermo del Toro. Like, pick one. I, <laughs> also, the other thing is, I thought he was retiring. Right? Like, which is it? Oh, I didn't even know he was retired yeah. i still i'm still i still expect kill bill 3 to come out someday and he was talking about that the other day too so it's like well i we, i don't know what you, that you have your finger on the pulse of quentin tarantino much more than i do so i need and, to and I'm not, I'm not like a hardcore <laughs> get fan of my details just, straight like i'm not even a hardcore fan of his i just hear like you know every couple of days on twitter a post flashes across my timeline oh quentin tarantino is thinking about doing this or he's retiring or you know like, Every week it's a new Quentin Tarantino story. So, again, that one, I'm going to uh, wait. Again, it, when I see 
when I'm sitting in in front of a big big screen, and I see his name flash across the screen. That is when you'll believe it. Yeah, uh, but I think the one that they're there that is in um, accelerated development is the one mm -hmm. that, that that just announced uh, the director. So. Uh, the question that I have that I find very interesting is that the initial report when I read it in deadline had said that the intention uh, is to bring back uh, um, the cast of the Kelvin timeline. Mm -hmm. And then in an updated version of that article, that piece was removed. So did they jump the gun in mentioning that? Are the deals not finalized? Was that an error on that part? That's the curious thing that I, yeah. that I find. Well, I do admit that I kind of have my... Well, my guess is that, like like I said, I, I truly think that there are multiple Star Trek movies I, in yeah. process right now. Yeah. There is one department somewhere who is working to continue the Kelvin timeline, mm -hmm. and then there is another department who is kind of uh, covering their bases in case the Kelvin timeline situation never kind of lands, never really works out. Yeah, that they are, they are not, you know, at a loss and they have to really start from scratch. So that's yeah. why I think, and maybe because of some contract, you know, obligations and rules, they have to announce, oh, this director is attached to our project, but we can't tell you what the deta any details other than that. And that's yeah. why, you know, you've got these, uh, uh, the n name of the individual i was trying to remember kalinda vasquez um yeah. or you've got you know uh matt shakeman um i i think we don't have enough details to figure out which of these right. projects they're connected to because i do think i do think that there is another and i think that rumor has been out for a while that they want to do at least one more christopher pine yeah kelvin verse star trek film and i kind yeah. of see i i think that would I don't know. I didn't think the third one really like wrapped up the. That was what Star Trek into Star Trek Beyond. Star Trek Beyond. Um, I don't think Star Trek Beyond really wrapped up the Kelvin verse the way no. I would have liked it to have. So I think they should get at least one more movie to wrap yeah. that up nicely. And um, I think it would be fun if that is kind of. So you know, not to go off on a tangent, um, you know, but the. You know, we were introduced to our characters in Starfleet Academy. They got to go on uh, a really cool classic adventure with some old villains. And then they had the third one, which overall I was not... If I were to pick a least favorite Star Trek movie, that's among my least favorites. Um, and I think Star Trek, you know, new Star Trek Four gives them the opportunity to do kind of a a new take on all of the classic movies. Let this be the you know, their maroon tunic adventure summed up in one movie and maybe do something kind of not unlike, I mean, you can never do the whales movie. The whales movie is never going to happen in 20, in the 2020s, yeah, no, 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 no. but no. something that maybe alludes to that in some sure. capacity, that still is a bit of fun. It still is a bit of action. It still has, you know, an important message about, um, and I think a lot of the rumors are focusing on bringing back uh, Chris Hemsworth as Kirk's father in some capacity. And I think that's where the time travel... I have, I have my idea of what the film should be, but I have not been contacted to write it. So, um, 
Yeah. The Christopher Pine version of the maroon tunics is what I'm going to say. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to see another another Calvin timeline movie uh, for sure. Uh, but we'll we'll wait and see, and and yeah. when we have more information on this Star Trek project or the other ones, uh, we will uh, we will bring it to you and share you, our thoughts with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the final piece of news. Much to the dismay of certain internet troll YouTube web uh, uh, channels, uh, but much to my delight because, and also yours, I'm sure, because we like the uh, the new direction of uh, Star Trek on streaming, uh, and that is that um, the, the the current Star Trek um, showrunner, if you will, the overall showrunner, Alex Kurtzman, um, has signed a massive five-year, $160 million extension with CBS Studios. So he will be shepherding the Star Trek franchise for years to come. I mean, yeah, just in the last couple years, I mean, I think back to... When did Discovery... So Discovery would have launched in, like, 2017, 2016. Um... We went from not much Star Trek at all, as you know, the the Pine movies, to now there's like multiple Star Treks running, and we're going to be in a situation where, you know, we're going months and months of new content churning out, and not just new content, but good content for a variety of audiences that is telling a variety of stories. So I applaud Alex Kurtzman being, you know. I, I mean, we'll see if he, he can stay awesome for uh, five more years. I certainly hope so. But if it means the growth of the Star Trek franchise and, you know, more people welcomed into uh, being Star Trek fans, so be it. I am here for that. Agreed. I agree. I agree. It all counts. Uh, he, he really went from it's not in the same amount of, of you know, shows and, and stuff like that. But it really has like an MCU kind of feel, where where it all of a sudden has blown up into this, you know, these multi projects. Uh, they're not necessarily all connected, but you know, what I, you know what I mean in terms of the volume of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's getting to that level to comparatively when you have the, you know, before before the MCU took shape, you have the, the X Men movie here, Spider Man movie there, but now you've got a steady stream of content. It's kind of similar in that sense. So he's done. A, he's he. You, you got to commend him on the job he's done because, like you said, we went to nothing from relatively nothing to enough content to cover almost a full calendar year. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's more than just you know this person cre- helped helped you know and and ensure the creation of it, but I think he's uh, you know as executive producer and all his other roles has convinced the studios that Star Trek is something to invest in and has approached them with uh, plans that will lead to the expansion of and the expansion of the franchise, you know, as we know it, and expansion within the universe. So yeah. that's what I, I really like to see, that this is, uh, that there's sustainability built into it and that, yeah. uh, you know, there's more for years to come and there's going to be more options for growth as it grows outward. Absolutely. So we'll see, we'll see what he has in store. 
for for the universe and for the fans. With all that said, let's get let's get into our look back at the pilot episode. Uh, well, episodes because it was it was basically a TV movie kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the pilot for Star Trek: The Next Generation. Let's so, see. So we're looking back at the year was 1987, <laughs> and not unlike. Um, you know, our the situation we were just discussing. You know, Star Trek had been off the air for quite some time, um, and had kind of returned to movie success. And somehow, Gene Roddenberry got lightning to strike twice, and the studio uh, gave the green light to bring Star Trek back for a no pun intended new generation, the next generation uh, of fans to continue telling stories uh, about the human condition with our Starfleet characters in a slightly different time period, a slightly different uh, Star Trek universe. But uh, I think it continued to be a growth of the Star Trek universe. Absolutely. Uh, by, by the launch of Next Generation, I think they knew that what Star Trek was as it related to the fandom, as it related to you know society and the world, was in a different place than when it was this you know, not quite uh, outer limits um, type of science fiction commentary in the 60s right. where, you know, they didn't think anyone would be talking about it five years later kind of thing right, versus right, right. this major part of, um, you know, our society, the cultural, you know, our cultural uh, existence, our history, our, you know, it's now it's in the museum, in, literally in museums in the Smithsonian kind of thing. Um, yeah. But as for the plot most people listening have probably seen encounter at farpoint but to would you like me to really quickly yeah, summarize no, or do you no, want to no, take no, the quick recap yeah, yeah sure really quick recap this is the first mission of the enterprise d so we're just about a hundred years uh after the voyages of the original and i shouldn't say original but you know kirk's enterprise um so it's the 2360s captain jean-luc picard is on the enterprise d he is uh, accompanied by his cast of characters. And while being charged with solving the mystery of Bandai Station, uh, encounters the mysterious entity Q, who will, spoiler alert, continue to be the, uh, a thorn in his side for many years to come. Um, uh, and yeah, the uh, united crew of the Enterprise D starts to solve what that mystery on Bandai, on the Bandai station is, uh, and and Q is uh, in a position to judge humanity based on how they solve that mystery. Right. So, right. I think uh, that's that's a good spoiler that free. Was, yeah, it was a good summary. Uh, well, well done. Summary. <laughs> no, but what I really uh, liked about this, and I hadn't seen it in, in a while, so it was kind of a fresh pair of eyes that I was watching it with. Um, but I like the fact that, you know, key components of the crew hadn't met up with uh, Captain Picard mm -hmm. when the show starts. I was, I was actually thinking the same thing when I was watching. I couldn't place my, my finger on exactly what... Something about the authenticity of seeing the 
the next generation crew members meet each other for the first time. Yeah. Like, I really had, like, something about that was really fun to watch. But It was, yeah, because we're not used to that. You Like, if you yeah. think about it, most Trek series start with the entire crew in place. Well, well, I was thinking about it, and I guess we do kind of, we do kind of see some of them meet for the first time, but it's, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like it carries the same, um, like see, the same too, emotion yeah. to uh, it. I'll Something about yeah. seeing these legends, it's like seeing, I don't know, Benjamin Franklin and George Washington meet. Right. Like, wow, that's insane. But like, because, yeah, I mean, I've seen Captain Janeway meet Tom Paris. Like, okay, right. that was cool and captain janeway meet chakotay um or you know uh captain i guess they didn't really show like a captain archer meeting lieutenant reed but i don't know those just don't carry the same something about the legendariness of uh you know the first time Riker meets data or even the first time like captain mccard and dr crusher and wesley lock eyes was it yeah just a lot of I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't watch the first. I I had also not watched the first episode of Next Generation in a long time because the first season overall, the um, the visual style is just not my. They're still getting their yeah their uh, the situation figured out then. So I don't tend to go back. Yeah, I don't tend to go back as often. But maybe that's one of the reasons that seeing them meet for the first time was just there's something extra special to them well i think you put it into context with them being you know icons of the franchise Mm -hmm. like they're i think next generation like you said struck lightning in a bottle in the sense that Mm -hmm. those guys achieved the, the same kind of status that the original series crew did like nowadays yeah right so when you go back, it, it is like this legendary group. A lot of the meeting for the first time, and uh, and that adds more, more, more weight to it, I guess. Um, I I do think part of it is I I maybe I mean I've heard um, heard and read that you know uh, Patrick Stewart certainly brought a different acting style and acting. Uh, like an experience on the set than say the original series or the other or other TV shows. And something about that more authentic, like it felt more real. Yeah. He feels more like there's, there's a different atmosphere and it's not a bad difference, but it it feels like more, it's almost like a more of a professionalism. Yeah. And I don't mean that, you know, but like he seems more like a, a, a straight-laced, serious, mm-hmm. stern kind of captain. Whereas... I, which I think makes the whole experience feel more real. Like, I right. feel like a real situation like that calls for probably someone who can convey that this situation is really happening. And I think uh, Patrick Stewart leading that leads the other actors to also up their game. Is my I, yeah, and I like the fact, too, that like very early on, like we're we're hearing an inner monologue from Picard talking about how he has trouble relating to a much younger crew. Mm-hmm. And I, I think at one point he even says he's not that he's not good with kids, right? So uh, that is a very different perspective on the captain 
than what we're used to seeing from Trek, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think Shatner's, you know, oftentimes we, we heard voiceover from Shatner admitting his Captain Kirk's, you know, uh, shortcomings or, or mm-hmm. faults, if you will. So even that was a different approach to it. Where like they're, they're trying to pass him off as this serious and stern captain, but also he had he has some uh, flaws or, or you know, while at the same time trying to show you that he's not perfect. So it's kind of this dual push and pull kind of thing happening here. And I quite like that. It added a lot of humanity to Picard right off the bat, I thought. Yeah. I, oh, yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. That's a good way of putting it. Um, uh, and and the other cool thing is that there's a lot of just by quick conversations or dialogue exchanges, you really see the chemistry uh, that this group had even early on as they were trying to find their footing. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, with uh, when Picard for the first time. Uh, encounters uh, Wesley and uh, Dr. Crusher. And then there's that exchange, and we find out, you know, their history together, right? We, you know, how Picard was the one that was friends with, with Wesley's father. Right. Delivered the news that he had, or yeah. delivered it, the news or his body that. Yeah, one uh, of the two, yeah. But yeah. just that exchange, like you could. I keep using this word, but the the interaction, the relationship felt authentic, right? Yeah. And much like how Riker, when he first encounters uh, uh, Troy on the, on the ship, and they have that exchange, and you realize there's a whole heap of history there. The, the the crew, the universe, it felt lived in, you know, just by these exchange exchanges. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, like it, it's weird because you sense the history, but this also feels brand new at the same time. It's kind yeah. of again a really double-edged sword, but in a good way. It's like you know, like there's good elements at play here. Well, it's interesting because, like in the original series, we don't see. You know, we're just kind of jumping into an adventure partway. Yeah. through we never see the characters like start so to speak from their point of view right. but then we we kind of see that in all of the other series and i'm trying to think like why why does it feel so different here like why does it feel so authentic like we see um michael burnham meet captain Lorca for the first yeah. time and those are both great actors of course. um and we see yeah and all the series have their great we, you know, the, you know, we see the doctor on Voyager activated for the first time, but something about, um, I don't know, something about this, and maybe it's because it is the rebirth of Star Trek on television, it gets, uh, there's some special energy to it that I think was uh, really well conveyed through the introduction of the new characters, whether the actual kind of plot and the story um, is maybe the best episode of Star Trek, I would maybe probably not go that far. (laughs) Um, uh, The plot maybe landed a little differently for me than the the characters who are, as we keep saying, legendary and iconic. Um, How did you feel about the actual um, 
the the mystery of Bandai Station and Q, for that well, matter. I, I always liked Q as, as an antagonist because it, I think it's like it's a constant mind bender with him. Like you don't know how to how to take him. You know, he's very much like he's really no threat in a physical sense, but it's the mental gymnastics you have to go through with him when he presents you with with an issue. That's the fascinating element of Q, I think. I've always been kind of split on the omnipotent alien stories, I guess. And there's a lot more of them, I think, in the original series. But then yes. they kind of become, they use them more sparingly from then right. on. But, because, uh, you know, like DS9 has the um, the prophets who are kind of omnipotent, kind of. Um, and... I think just about all of the other series is Encounter Q once or twice. Um, but I th- yeah, I think you have to be cautious and because yeah, so it is a science fiction story otherwise, but add, to add an omnipotent character to a you know a tale of you know a story of humanity and a lesson, like you have to do it very carefully. And I think Q is probably most of the time is a good way of doing that. Like right. this was this was an outside, literally a judge to judge humanity on barbarism and whether they, you know, they, we, um, you know, deserve to be able to travel the stars after all of the uh, atrocities that have been committed. So yeah, and I thought it, it was. It was interesting watching Picard try to make decisions on how to handle, you know, their situation. Mm-hmm. Once they got to the station and, and figured out what was actually, you know, kind of going on uh, and the threat that they were presented with, it was like they want, like you could see when it looked like they were going to be fired upon that they wanted to, you know, be prepared for it and, and do what they needed to do. But in the back of Picard's mind, you could see him hesitating, be like, okay, we have to do this, but I just spent so much time convincing Q that we're different, we've changed this. And so he's kind of walking that tightrope, which is which is what I was saying about the mental sort of push and pull between those two characters. Yeah, I, I mean, Patrick Stewart really did, and maybe I didn't, you know, maybe I don't think about this too much, but Patrick Stewart really does make Next Generation a standout experience because, yeah, you know, this was, I, you know, rewatching it, um, he does a really good job of somehow simultaneously conveying the larger than life lead on a Star Trek series, but also that here he is. This is his first mission on the Enterprise D, and there are several points where he does kind of convey, uh, not that he's still learning, although he is still learning, but like that there's he's still fallible, like he is still getting the fallibility of it all. Yeah. Um, And over the years, I think he does become this larger than life character of Captain Picard knows all. There's literally a book somewhere like the wit and wisdom of. Jean-Luc Picard or something like that because he's always got these great speeches um, and that he is like this perfect uh, uh, like 
ethical person that is like the ideal of humanity. Um, but here he's still fallible. Here he's still, uh, he hasn't, it kind of reminds me of um, the conversation in the last episode where he hasn't really like the, given the crew a reason to see him as infallible yet. And yeah. the fact that Patrick Stewart successfully portrayed that over seven years in such a subtle way that you don't look, you don't really see it unless you're looking for it, I think is just classy acting. Like that's insane. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because in a pilot, you can even see a lot of the people are, are kind of, um, they're finding their footing. So it's not, you know, it's not top tier acting across the board. Right. That's uh, yeah. I think that's a fair way of putting it. But but Picard, I mean Patrick Stewart, was bang on right from the beginning. <laughs> you know, others slowly caught up to him, but he was he was bang on right from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Uh, I did like sort of when uh, I think it was Riker uh, compared Data to uh, to a Vulcan. Maybe they were trying to make that Spock comparison right out, out of the gate. Oh, uh, uh, Riker compares um, Data to Pinocchio, uh, right. and well, then somebody said something about a, a Vulcan. What was right, Doctor oh, McCoy. It was, it was the cameo from uh, yes, Admiral McCoy with uh, yes. DeForest Kelly. That's right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when he compared it to Spock, I, I, I couldn't stop laughing because I'm like, <laughs> they just have to go there. And they're not wrong in a sense, for sure. Um, but I was curious, did they put, was, like, did they use makeup to a? They had to have. Oh, aged. yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, I was, um, and I looked it up while I was watching it, uh, that... Because so 1987 is only like a year after the filming of um, Voyage Home, where so DeForest Kelly does that's there's a lot of makeup on DeForest Kelly between so DeForest Kelly himself is older in uh, I guess it would be Final Frontier, but also Undiscovered Country than he is when he filmed his cameo here. So wow. that's one way, one way to think about how the makeup is uh yeah, yeah, yeah. works there. Yeah. I think Final Front when did Final Frontier come out? Like 88, 89. So yeah, this might yeah. might be before Final Frontier. No, I, but I I, I did I, I like that cameo. It wasn't it wasn't too, you know, too much of a wink at the audience that it took you out of the Right. Yeah, it was, it was more the, like the, the perfect amount of time devoted yeah. to referencing the existence of the original series. It's like here's the familiar as we take we transition you into the new into the new age of, of Trek at the time, which I, I think was a good a good uh, sort of uh, passing of the torch, so to speak, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also liked the uh, I think it was uh, the introduction of the holodeck. Mm-hmm. That was a cool uh, way of doing it. Well, and I so I think I they did have the challenge of okay, we're a hundred years after the original series, we already invented all this cool technology that doesn't really exist yet in real life. How do we jump a hundred years beyond that? 
Um, and they did that through, you know, things like the holodeck and the concept that the ship is so, uh, so not, it, it's space travel is so common that we're bringing our families into space kind of yeah. thing. Um, so I th- that, yeah, I think, and of course the holodeck has, uh, pay dividends in Star Trek plots through the years. Um, And I would say that's right up there with the creative uh, plot devices with, like, the transporter. Right, right. Um, Because what a great idea to be able to reuse and also create new, um, like, historic sets and refer to other other things, like, you know, the uh, Ireland stories on Voyager. Yeah, instead, instead of going to, like, a new uh, a world that is set in a version of our past kind of thing, mm-hmm. you can actually have that with the holodeck and stuff like that. You right, can, which, you know, could have saved the original series a bunch of, here's a planet that looks exactly like Earth, except for one minor detail. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then I really... For whatever reason, and again, she's great throughout the rest of the series. I, I, to, to me, I think the, the, the performance that struggled the most, at least out of the gate, was uh, Troy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, she, I, yeah, I, oh, she didn't ahead. seem comfortable in the first episode, in the first two episodes. I And I think part of that is... So she's introducing a new alien, sort yeah. of. And I, I, if I remember the backstory correctly, um, elements of Next Generation started off as elements of the first Star Trek movie, yeah. right? That, you know, uh, the Troy character kind of evolved from Ilya and uh, Commander Riker kind of evolved from uh, Commander Decker, sort of. I mean, that, that's like... Yeah. Obviously, the episode is a very different. It's, uh, it happened very different than uh, the first movie, but um, yeah, I think the I think that's a struggle to introduce the beta. Like the introduction of the Betazoids were not was not a major component of early right, next right. generation by yeah. any means. So so that was squarely on her shoulders to kind of explain. Yeah, that's that, a lot. That's a lot. And again, what not, being that not... was. I'm not trying to diminish the actress at all because she was great, mm-hmm. you know, as time went along. Mm-hmm. And a great character and such. But, you, like, there are certain characters that you could tell that just, or certain actors that are, that are kind of struggling through the first episode. And, mm-hmm. and this was the one for me that was most obvious. Um, but again, I mean, throughout the course yeah. of seven years and several movies, you know, that character is. Oh, yeah. Whenever I go back to rewatch episodes of, not in the first season, but other than that, episodes of Next Generation, I'm always surprised that, uh, you know, the first, way back when, when I watched, I thought, you know, why is the psychologist on the bridge? But <laughs> nowadays I watch it and say, wow, I can't believe that uh, uh, Counselor Troy played such like, a big part of uh, solving that mystery and getting yeah. that done. And, you know, they really should appreciate her more. Um in fact, that reminds me of one of the observ- like just side observations I had watching uh, the first episode was that, so if I remember right, um, 
Riker and Troy broke up so that Riker could pursue his career. Right. And like, because he wanted to make captain by 30 or something like that. Um, but here they are reuniting unexpectedly years later. And Commander Riker is only one like rank grade above the, uh, Counselor Troy. Right. So he did not, you know, if he's supposed to be this like crazy rise through the ranks, Commander Troy, uh, Commander Troy yeah, she's Lieutenant Commander, has a. Uh, pretty much stayed pace with him in a sciences yeah. field, which I feel like is probably harder to do than in the command field. So that goes to say, that's that's just another underappreciated uh, yeah. star on, on Counselor Troy's college. Uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, it's, like, it's one thing if he had like jumped several ranks ahead, but you know, they're, they're nearly, the, nearly equal, and it's only a few years before they're both commanders, so... But I think the best parts of with those two were their interactions in the episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were strongest when they were when they were sharing scenes together, and you know, hinting at their past. So you could tell that together they had chemistry. So that would set things up, you know, as we went further, of course. Um, so there were bright spots with those two uh, in the first two episodes, for sure. Um, in terms of the reveal about you know what. The threat actually is and what's actually going on i like that it was more about uniting than being this all out you know action heavy battle mm-hmm. because it played kind of like classic trek in a way oh yeah i i really feel like this is a an original series type of yeah. story introducing other like there's even a point where um where q is a uh like an energy like a, a just a shape of energy ball and i thought this even looks kind of like a original series um uh kind of graphics but the, uh, the plot overall i thought really reminded me of the way original the original series would tell stories yeah yeah um no so that that i actually like that I thought that that felt, again, very familiar, very, um, um, very, is on brand the right word to say? Uh, no, that, that, that's a good way of putting it. But again, I like the fact that it wasn't, because in anything sci-fi, like by today's standards, you expect a big battle. You know what I mean? You expect mm-hmm. that... that it, a CGI fest where it's like, you know, and nothing wrong with that. I love those just as much as anybody, but it was nice to see a good old fashioned, you know, let's reunite or let's unite instead of divide and, you know, <laughs> and attack. So, but, but in, in, in being able to do that, Picard proved the point to Q, uh, which I think, so while, you know, while, the mission had its rocky parts, you know, mission accomplished. Uh, all the same. Uh, yeah. And even even at the very end, you could see, like, later in the third act, Q was trying to goad them into, into attacking, you know what I mean, and, and making the first move so that, because they see, I was right, you guys are still barbarians. Um, so that aspect of it I really liked. Um, uh, it was like a mental chess game right? when you think about it between mm-hmm. Q and 
uh, and Picard throughout the whole episode. Um, but uh, anything we missed, do you think we should bring up? Um, well, I guess it would mainly be nitpicking for the most part, which I won't go too deep into because, again, this is their first foray right. onto on screen. But there were a lot of um, just little side parts. It's like, well, that's not exactly the way Star Trek will go for the next 15 years. But things like uh, they mentioned using printouts a lot. And I'm like, ah, they didn't really use printouts on the original series. Why would they use printouts on yeah. uh, Next Generation? And there were just like little little things that they said that were a little out of character. But I won't go into the, the nitpicking, I guess, on that. Because again, they were still getting their uh, yeah. If you're using printouts in that day and age, then isn't that like several steps backwards? Right. I just and and even there's a point when they like ask the computer for directions, and the way the computer speaks is a little goofy. And I'm a hundred percent sure that was not uh, Majel uh, Barrett Roddenberry. Um, so I'm glad that they eventually bring her back. But yeah. just like a little weird oddities that get fixed over the course of a couple episodes. It's funny, though, because we don't even... We barely use printouts. Like, we barely print stuff out anymore. Right. <laughs> it's like, do you want your bills digitally? Uh, yes, I don't want all that excess paper. Thank you. That's right. Um, but no, yeah. So, um, no, I, I get that. But again, those are minor things that you expect yeah. from a pilot from 1987. That, yeah, that's a good point. You know. If... if, if uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Enterprise had still been doing that, I'd have been. Oh, well, then, yeah, then it's not an inconsistency. At that point, they were, like, full on. You have to be aware that people are going to be nitpicking things, so. (laughs) Yeah, it's like we're in the 99s and 2000s now. You can't, I mean, we've had enough time with this franchise that you know the fans will will dig, dig deep and find inconsistencies. That's right. uh, But, yeah, anything else you want to mention before we go ahead and rate this thing? Um... I guess I would just give one shout out that Deanna got a, a full station on the battle bridge. And yeah. I thought that was funny that, um, I don't know about funny, but Deanna deserves a station and she got to have a whole console to herself and on the bridge. So I thought that was, I had never noticed that before. Absolutely. Poor, That's a good, good point. Good point. Good point. Um, all right. Yeah. So uh, that brings us pretty much, we covered as much as we could. We, we went into mm-hmm. it uh, uh, with some of our likes and dislikes, but now it's time to do what we always do, and that is rate it. So, what would you what would you rate this? I am going to give Encounter at Farpoint like a six point five. Not probably on the lower end of my Star Trek ratings, but still, you know, net positive, I suppose. So, six point five. Yeah, I'll give it a Sorry. 6.5 as well. I think it's... Sorry, TNG. No, no, it's... Listen, it's, it's fair. I, I think it's... You know, Passing. It, it is, is slow. get degrees. Yeah, exactly. It is... But it is slow in parts. There are some, some inconsistencies. Some of the acting is is a little rough. Uh, uh, rough, yeah. Some of the... Uh, not even just the acting. There's like a... Some of like the, the lighting and the the videography yeah, is still yeah. a little rough yeah. um even i think like the first scene in engineering or something the camera was shaking the whole time and i thought 
Come on, guys, you're getting on television here. It's like they're not even they're not even doing shaky cam yet as a thing. Like it's not even <laughs> it's not even a technique yet. It's like you you're, you're 12 years too early with that Blair Witch uh, routine going on there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's uh, but again, it's all part of parcel of you know a, a pilot, and often you know the first season of any show is. is you know, actors and crews finding their footing. So, all in all, a, a solid start. Uh, and the show only got better, as we know. Um, yeah. So. Oh, my gosh. There's so many amazing episodes yeah. that would come from this. So, yeah. I'm so. grateful that it happened. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 we're, we're happy that it exists, definitely. Um, but, yeah, that brings this episode to a close. We are back. Uh, we will be back with you um, as we, we will be covering, of course, as we said, uh, starting off with Lower Decks Season 2. So, uh, in the meantime, if you want to talk uh, Star Trek with us, you can on social media. So, Andrew, where do they find you if they want to talk more uh, Trek? I try to discuss my Star Trek observations at AJ Hallowell on Twitter. Fantastic. And if you want to find me and talk with me, it's at Adam underscore Leafs fan. The podcast network has its own Twitter where that's mostly just where I post stuff uh, at MMNPDC. And then if Facebook is more your speed, we have the Facebook group, which will be in the description below. Click the link. I'll add you and we can continue the conversation there. But until next time, uh, enjoy all the upcoming Star Trek content we have, because there's going to be a lot of it. So enjoy the feast. And until you hear from us again, live long and prosper. So long, everybody.